This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee. The governor holds his latest upgrade on COVID-19 next to a busy highway in Orlando that got special attention because of the pandemic. It's good news if you have to use Interstate 4 on a regular basis. If you don't, well, just count your blessings. Another day, another round of questions for the Gov about the state of Florida's unemployment compensation system. Ron DeSantis is starting to take umbrage and snap at reporters who ask him. Broward and Miami-Dade were the last counties in Florida to enter the reopening phase, and there have been a couple of hiccups. We'll hear from the mayors of Miami and Broward County about their progress and their plans. While most of us are focusing on coronavirus, Florida's agriculture commissioner says don't forget about wildfire. Nikki Free travels to Collier County to check out a blaze that's blackened almost 9,000 acres. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who wore a top but no pants at a pool in Naples, and the Florida Man who is now the Chief of Intelligence in the U.S. Senate. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Wednesday, May 19th. The latest count from the State Health Department shows 46,422 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida. The death toll has reached 2,073. Governor Ron DeSantis travels to Orlando to announce the opening of five new flyover ramps on the intersection of I-4 and State Road 408. Construction was accelerated during the pandemic when people stayed home, allowing crews to work without the usual crush of traffic around them. And today I'm pleased to announce the completion of the I-4 and State Road 408 interchange. Five new flyover ramps that together compose the most impactful portion of the I-4 Ultimate project. Today's ramp openings come more than three months ahead of schedule. And not only that, but even when I accelerated it, today's opening is six weeks sooner than even we anticipated in April. And I think that that's a testament uh, to what FDOT has been able to do. Now this 408 exchange is the busiest portion of the I-4 Ultimate project. These improvements will increase safety, ease the movement of commerce, and most importantly, enhance Central Floridians' commutes as we transition back to a fully functioning economy. The governor also told reporters he's feeling pretty good about efforts to revive Florida's economy. Really, I'm just looking forward to helping bring bring us back. Uh, obviously, we still have uh, uh, you know we still have uh, issues with public health. That's not going to go away. Uh, but I think we have a pathway uh, to get Florida moving again. Uh, it is smart. It's safe. It is step by step. It's not just turning a switch. Uh, but I really uh, believe that Central Florida can be a major driver in that. And having great infrastructure projects are part of it. But the governor's mood changed when he was asked about problems with the unemployment compensation system. More than a third of the people who have filed claims have had them rejected, and some people have been waiting since mid-March. Last week, the governor tried to downplay the backlog, telling reporters to give him the names of anyone who's been waiting that long. Now it seems their names are not enough. Did you vet any of them? Do you know, did they submit a valid Social Security number? I'm not dismissing, but I'm, here's, here's the facts. Excuse me, excuse me. When you say I have somebody... The question is, as that person completed the application, so for example, we were in Tampa the other day, and one of the reporters said, you know, I have someone here who, you know, hasn't been able, filed in, in mid-March or whatever, so it's like, give us the name. So we took the name and went, and it turns out the employer's contesting it, saying that the individual quit. So these, all these have individual fact-specific stuff. Here's what I can tell you. More than $2 billion has now been paid out. And of all the unique, complete, and eligible applicants, 97% have now been paid. Unique applicant, 
valid application, eligible, 97% have been paid. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take all the data because we have even more good news from what was done yesterday. And we're going to put that out and we're going to show not only who's all been paid, and then we're going to go over the common pitfalls for people you know, that have not been paid. But I think it's your responsibility, if you're representing that there's someone in March who hasn't been paid, to, to tell your viewers whether that someone is a valid applicant or not. If someone applies and doesn't support a Social Security number, guess what? Federal, you can't pay under those circumstances. You are not even investigating whether they're valid claims. You're just asserting that, they're, that, that people have applied. And I'm telling you that we have $2 billion in claims that have been paid. We have 97% of the unique eligible completed applications. So the issue is they're paid in the order they're received. If you apply today, you're not going to leapfrog someone that paid. They're, they're, they're paid in the order that we received. And so uh, those are just the facts. And I know it's like, you know, to take an anecdote here, but I'm telling you, you got a responsibility. If you're going to put that out to, to viewers to say that we've looked into it, the person submitted Social Security, the person is eligible, and not just say that, oh, someone said, because you know what? We're getting people from other countries applying. We're getting people from other states applying. And so that all goes through the process. A personal note here to the Gov. Most reporters don't have the time to vet every person we talk with who has problems with the unemployment system, let alone the tools to do it. We don't have access to the system to check things like social security numbers, employment history. Frankly, that is the responsibility of your Department of Economic Opportunity. And snapping at reporters is not an effective strategy for fixing a broken system. When Senate Democrats raised similar concerns about all the people who have not been paid, DeSantis responded by saying, send me the names. Well, on Monday, Democratic leader Audrey Gibson delivered the names and claim IDs of more than 1,000 Floridians who've been waiting for for two months. The governor's promising he'll have more to say about the unemployment fiasco when he holds his COVID-19 briefing later today. One other thing that got under the governor's skin was a question about his early embrace of a controversial COVID-19 treatment that uses hydroxychloroquine. DeSantis was all in after Donald Trump recommended it. He pulled some strings at the White House to buy a million doses of the drug for Florida, and during one of his briefings, the governor even featured an interview with a bedridden patient who was being treated with the drug. DeSantis stopped talking about hydroxychloroquine after studies showed it was killing people and was probably doing more harm than good. And he now claims he never really endorsed its use. The governor says he only made the drug available. What I said from the beginning is I'm not a doctor. I have, I've had physicians say they've had cl positive clinical results. And I think a lot of it is if you give it to someone that's critically ill, it certainly isn't going to help. It's too late. If you do it early, they think it could help. So I said, okay, if you guys think it could help, I went, I talked to the president, we got supplies from India, I got some other, pushed it out. If they want to use it, they can use it. If they don't, they don't. But it wasn't anything that we, we ever endorsed, per se. But I actually still think you have physicians in Florida who are using it, and I think you do have some that think it's had, it's had some benefit. But it seems like it's only beneficial if you get it early enough um, in the onset of the disease. Once somebody is really critically ill and on a ventilator, um, it's not clear that that's the case. now. We've also put out this, um, uh, the new drug that just came out from FDA. I, what's the name of it? I forget. I, there's so many of these things. Um, but that came out, and that has mixed reviews, too. And so we got a shipment. We're putting it out. Hospitals can request for people that are on ventilators or in the intensive care unit, and they can use it as they see fit. I think, uh, oh, remdesivir. And remdesivir has mixed reviews. And some doctors think it'd be helpful. Some don't. It's really ultimately up to the doctor and the patient to make those decisions. So if I have remdesivir available, I want to give the doctors the option for that, just as we would do uh, with the uh, hydroxychloroquine. 
While most of Florida has been in the reopening states for two weeks, Broward and Miami-Dade are just getting started. 40% of the Floridians who've been killed by COVID-19 live there, and the governor blames New York for that. Their epidemic was different. You, you may have seen some. There have been things that have come out recently about where did New Yorkers flee when the epidemic hit? And the number one state that they fled to right here in the state of Florida. I quarantined them in March, and everyone in New York media was blowing a gasket. How could you do this? That was the right decision. That was the number one landing pad. South Florida got inundated. Had we not done the quarantine, you would have had way more cases, hospitalizations, the whole nine yards. Um, I have no doubt that that quarantine saved lives. I think it dissuaded some from coming down. Uh, but I think the ones that did, we were able to process and, and screen, and I think it was effective. So, uh, But South Florida has had to deal with some certain problems, and I think they've done a really good job under the circumstances. So their schedule's a little bit different than, than the other 64 counties. Broward County entered phase one of the reopening Monday, and Broward Mayor Dale Holness says it appears to be working out, except for a bit of a problem with crowds at the beach. We're looking pretty good this morning uh, in Broward County. We, we, we meet the CDC guidelines to start reopening. And as such, uh, we have started on that pathway uh, with most uniformity across the county. Uh, most of us, all of our cities are pretty much in, in uh, agreement with what we're doing, except for one uh, that would like to see gyms open. Uh, so they are talking about a gym war. I don't think it's a gym war. It's a, it's a, a, a disagreement as to what we can and can't do. Uh, but uh, it, a lot of people wanted us to do this because it's, it, it has been crippling on the economy as well as, as it has been devastating on, on, on the health of our people. So we're making this first step. But I want everyone out there to understand that we still need to maintain the social distancing, wear your face covering, uh, do all the things that the CDC asks you to do that you've been doing <laughs> that got us to this point. Uh, and, and hopefully... We will continue on a pathway to more openings across uh, South Florida. Uh, the one other area that uh, many people are, have been discussing is beach openings. Uh, the consensus of the mayors from Broward County is that we wait until after uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so they are looking at the 26th as a, as a target date. And I'm sure a lot of people are, are wanting to go back to, to enjoying that beach. So we're on our way. Uh, Broward County is that we wait until after uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, so they are looking at the 26th as a, as a target date. And hopefully we can do it in concert with Miami-Dade County since Palm Beach has already gone ahead of us. Uh, so many people want to go out and, and exercise on the beach and swim and, 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 and enjoy the sun and the sand, which is what we are famous for here in South Florida. Broward County has 21 miles of beautiful white sand beach and i'm sure a lot of people are, are wanting to go back to to enjoying that beach so we're on our way uh in a good way i believe uh, lots of folks are quite excited most people have been practicing uh the social distancing and follow the guidelines that we set sure there are going to be a few uh, you know th this is how humans are right we don't always do exactly what we're supposed to do uh but we also have the enforcement side of it with the police and the sheriff's office uh, warning folks and if need be, give them tickets if, they, if they're not complying. So I, I think uh, that we will see more people complying than those who are not. 
Miami-Dade County has entered Phase 1 as of Monday, but Miami Mayor Francis Suarez says his city doesn't actually start until tomorrow. You know, we're obviously uh, concerned that we had a, a one-day spike in Miami-Dade County. We had, I think, 553 cases, uh, which, which is uh, almost higher than the peak, which is weird because we haven't even opened yet. Uh, and so we, we got to get behind that, fi- figure out whether that's a data dump from private labs or, you know, what's going on there. I think, you know, one of the things that's been tough for us is uh, analyzing the data because it, it sort of goes up and down, up and down, up and down. And so we've used uh, status, biostatisticians uh, to give us a sense for the trajectory, which is really what we're looking for, which is a, a two-week trajectory. And we're hopeful, you know, that people act by and large responsibly. That This really, at the end of the day, is going to come down to personal responsibility because even though we have police officers, code compliance officers, and we have the business owners that are going to want to comply so that uh, there's no enforcement that's needed, at the end of the day, it's really going to come down to people. You know what I mean? Are the people going to uh, continue to practice social distancing, take this seriously so that we can get all the way down to zero? Or are we going to start see the kind of stuff that we've seen sometimes uh, that, that, you know, puts us in a bad predicament. If we start to see the cases go back up and we start to see irresponsible behavior, it makes it tough for us to, to maintain these openings. Next up on Sunrise, we check in with Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed, who's watching the wildfires in Collier County and across the state. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. Florida's Agriculture Commissioner is in charge of the Florida Forest Service, so she is the point person when it comes to wildfire. Nikki Freed was in the panhandle last week where a swamp fire blackened more than 2,000 acres. Now her attention is fixed on Collier County as firefighters battle what's called the 36th Avenue Southeast Fire. Uh, thank you to the brave men and women who have been out here since Wednesday working around the clock, putting their lives and safeties on the line. Uh, to protect not only homes and lives, uh, um, but our beautiful wildlands that are here in in Collier County. Um, While we have significantly contained uh, the fire um, and we're making progress every single day, this is definitely not the time to be uh, letting our guards down. I mean, we saw just in the last two weeks alone, unfortunately, we saw significant damage up in the panhandle. Uh, We saw fires coming out in, in the Everglades as well as in Uh, up in Polk County, uh, we are at the height of our fire season. Uh, So it is really important that every single person out there, regardless of where you live, um, that you are heeding all of your warnings in your local areas. We have significant drought in Central and South Florida. I mean, Lake Okeechobee's levels are below 11. Um, So you've got to know at that point how much drought is in this area. Uh, While we all are doing the rain dance on a pretty frequent basis, uh, this is not the time for anybody in the state of Florida to be taking their guards down. So some of the things that we really try to tell people to to watch out for, one, uh, make sure that you are not starting trash fires. Um, that, that is, again, very dangerous, especially with debris 
uh, and the dryness around our, our communities. Uh, if you happen to feel like you have to do that or we're about to get onto Memorial Day weekend uh, and you are going to have grills and people wanting to uh, enjoy the holiday weekend. Make sure your grills are 10 feet away from any structures, that you have cleared all of the debris around you. That's making sure also that you don't have any uh, branches that are above where you might be grilling. Uh, don't ever take your eye off the grills or any open fires. Uh, also make sure your pets and animals are far away uh, and also making sure that you have a fire extinguisher uh, in close proximity. Uh, you know, the, what I have seen over the last few weeks and the stories of the heroism of these brave men and women, of what they've been able to do, um, I really am asking the citizens of the state of Florida um, to please be conscious of, of these surroundings around you because the last thing we want to do is not only start fires, um, but put these individuals in harm's way. Um, I mean, the stories are just unbelievable of, of what they have to do day in and day out. Um, so I cannot thank them enough for what they are doing. But please also make sure that you're following your local uh, EOCs, emergency managements, uh, making sure you're following your local news. Uh, and if there's anything that's coming out as far as evacuations, uh, please make sure that you are evacuating as soon as possible. Because again, the last thing we want is that if you have decided to stay back and our firefighters are out trying to defend life and property and you end up getting stuck, you are taking them away from another um, hazardous area to come and save you, and they will. Um, because that is their job and they will save you and put their lives before their own. Um, so we're asking you to be responsible, to be conscious of, of what is coming information coming out from your, your local authorities and your statewide authorities and you actually do evacuate. Uh, there always will be areas where for evacuation area, for evacuations uh, and also make sure you're following any uh, road closures. We do have another road closure of 75 today based on another fire um, that's not right here. Uh, so please make sure that you're following those precautions. Um, but make sure you're staying safe, uh, number one priority, uh, because if you are stuck inside, if you think that you're going to defend your home with a fire hose um, from your lawn, uh, you are gravely mistaken. Uh, your life is much more important um, than that of your house. So make sure that if you are in an evacuation area, uh, that you are packing a bag, that you've got all of your, your medical supplies, all of your important documents, your insurance cards, uh, and make sure that you're ready to, to leave when necessary. If anything comes up or you have, um, please make sure that you're reporting that. Uh, your suspected arson um, can be an also anonymously reported to the arson alert by calling 1-800-342- 5869. Again, I'll repeat that number. It's 1 800 5869. So, again, everybody uh, be vigilant, be smart, uh, and make sure that you're protecting yourselves and these brave men and women that are, that are out there protecting you. There have been more than 1,500 wildfires in Florida so far this year. They've burned a total of more than 50,000 acres. In other non-COVID news, Attorney General William Barr has announced that the Saudi Air Force trainee who killed three sailors and wounded eight more during an attack at Naval Air Station Pensacola last December was working with al-Qaeda operatives as far back as 2015. The FBI finally succeeded in unlocking al-Shamrani's phones. The phones contained information previously unknown to us that definitively establishes al-Shamrani's significant ties to al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, not only before the attack, but before he even arrived in the United States. 
The attorney general also trashed Apple for refusing the government's request to unlock the phones. Barr says that delayed the investigation for months. Florida Senator Rick Scott says this announcement shows the need for his Secure U.S. Bases Act, which would ensure that potentially hostile foreign soldiers are vetted and monitored. Your calendar of events begins at 8.30 in the morning. That's when the nominating commission of the 17th Judicial Circuit will conduct online interviews. They're looking for a replacement Broward County judge. The Southwest Florida Water Management District Governing Board meets at 9. So does the St. Petersburg College Board of Trustees. They're online. The Florida Public Service Commission holds a workshop at 1 about preparation by electric utilities for the hurricane season. The Florida Hurricane Catastrophe Fund Advisory Council is holding a conference call at 1.30. Economists from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences will take part in an online news conference at 1.30. They'll talk about a study on the impacts of COVID-19 on Florida's agriculture, aquaculture, and marine industries. The Santa Fe College Board of Trustees holds a workshop at 2, followed by a full board meeting at 4. The Northwest Florida State College Board of Trustees holds an online meeting at 3. The Pensacola State College Board of Trustees holds a workshop about COVID-19. That's at 4.30, followed by a regular board meeting. And the Pasco-Hernando State College Board of Trustees meets at 6 in Spring Hill. Finally, it's time for the misadventures of Florida Man, who was having a bit of trouble with the dress code. A Florida man faces criminal charges after being spotted at the pool of a Naples condominium wearing a red sweater. That's all. Just a sweater. The victim told police she was sitting on the second floor porch of her condo about to enjoy her morning cup of coffee when she saw 39-year-old Joshua Echezareta standing by the pool with his junk completely exposed. The victim says he looked up to her, pointed to his crotch, and said, this is what you do to me. Then he walked over to the lounge chair she always uses and began masturbating. He's charged with exposing sexual organs, prowling, resisting an officer, and stalking. Finally, a Florida man has just been named the interim chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the United States Senate. Marco Rubio replaces North Carolina Senator Richard Burr, who resigned his chairmanship last week after the FBI began investigating allegations of insider trading. Burr dumped millions of dollars worth of stocks after receiving classified briefings on coronavirus before the market tanked in March. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.